0: We're going to finish up in, in Luke 24. And uh, again, I won't bother reading those scriptures because in, in Luke 24, you can read those, those scriptures there uh, to get the picture that we read this morning. But again, just remember uh, those women, uh, that they came. Uh, they came early in the morning, the first day, we said, of the week, which was Sunday and they were coming to the to the sepulcher where Jesus Christ was uh buried after his uh crucifixion and of course he was he was put where in uh, in Joseph's uh, tomb and of course there was no one had ever else had laid there no dead body had been there in terms of corrupting it so and, of course, he wouldn't, his body would never be corrupted. So he's put in that, in that tomb, and they came there. And the fact is, as we read in those first few verses, that says that they, they came there with their spices to complete his burial, <laughs> forgetting, of course, that he had told them that, the, he, that he was going to rise, that he would raise from the dead. And that was the huge, beautiful message, the part of the glorious gospel. And really, in Second Corinthians 4, verse 4, 2 Corinthians 4, verse 3 says, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And how many times we can get lost in our own thinking and be moved away from the truth of the life and the victory, the resurrection life and the power of eternal life that's in Christ that we have in him. And we get lost in our thinking from that. And so in 2 Corinthians 4 3 and 4, if our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And that's quite a verse when we can understand uh, it in the light of the full counsel and the full thought of God uh, pertaining to the scriptures. Because when we read that, when we read in 2 Corinthians, 4, 3, and 4. 2 Corinthians 4, 3. Again, we said, If our gospel be hid, it is hid to them that are lost. And look what it says in verse 4 of 2 Corinthians 4. In whom the God of this world has blinded the minds of them which believe not. Then look what it says. Lest the light. And we'll see in the King James, this version, it says, Lest the light of the glorious gospel of Christ. The Greek literally has this. It is the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ. That's the way it should read. And what a, what a way to understand it when we, when we understand it in the original. See? The enemy, Satan, tries to blind the minds, not only of the unsaved, but as us as believers through doubt, through worry. And... He tries to blind the minds, lest the light, the beautiful illumination of the revelation of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the very image of God, should shine unto them. Just In other words, light up our thinking with the truth of who he is in us with all of his glory. That's what Paul was saying in Colossians 1, 27. Christ in you, the hope of glory. And so these women came with their spices to actually complete his burial. They're looking for his dead body. And with that, with that, those spices that they come to bury him, was hid away forever their best hopes. And that's what Satan wants to do. He wants to blind the minds of us so that we live in doubt and worry and in a sense we hide away in the darkness our very best hopes that we have in Christ. We said, and again they found that the body wasn't there. The stone was rolled away. And they couldn't find his body and they were perplexed and they were afraid. And that's what sight does. That's what worry does. That's what fear does. It perplexes us and brings in incredible fear. And it says, and they bow down their faces to the earth. We bow down. We lower. Our thinking is lowered. And in our lowered thinking, we lower in our experience, not in our position, but in our experience, the very glory of Christ and the glory of Christ that he is in us. And so, of course, the angels, they said, why do you seek? And literally they were saying in the original, why do you seek the living one? He's the living one among the dead. He is alive. And the angels said this to them. But the angels could only say this with uh, with a vast air of difference between you and I. They can't experience the intimacy, the reality, the glory of Jesus Christ in them. They could only be his messenger. And they could only bring the intensity of that message with a reserve and in a sense with a reproof of the message, but they can only bring it with an air of distance <laughs> because we are so far above the angels. You'll see that in Hebrews the second chapter. you see that in Hebrews 2 verses 8 and 9 all the way to the last 18th verse of Hebrews 2 and that we, very soon, we will be and in First Corinthians 6, 1 and 2, we will be ruling and reigning over these angels with the glory of Christ reflected in us. But his message to them was, he is not here. He's not here. In other words, he's not there in our thoughts of doubt, in our thoughts of worry. He's not there in the darkness of us hiding our very best hopes in him. He's not there, but he's risen. He's risen. He is totally risen above all of that. And so we see in verse 10 that it was Mary Magdalene and Joanna and Mary, the mother of James, and we said, and other women. And we they we said this morning that they went and they told those things to the apostles. So here are the women, and Jesus taught these women like he taught the apostles that he was going to rise from the dead. Yet they approach the place where he was to rise from the dead and actually had with hidden hopes. Their hopes are over as they come with their spices. But then the angel tells them the truth and they get fired up in a sense with the truth. And they begin now, instead of to walk by sight, they begin to believe and come back to remembrance the beautiful words and truth that Jesus spoke about himself. Now they operate in faith and then they go to the apostles and here the apostles, those that walked with Jesus three and a half years, were skeptical. They were skeptical. They thought that the woman were just telling these idle tales. Idle tales, they thought, that were bred in the minds of some enthusiastic and these visionary women. They had seen things and imagined them in their mind. And they were skeptical. And they doubted. Just like today, this is a picture, literally, of the day that we live in. That the thoughts of certain skeptics, they just don't believe the Word of God. They don't believe <clears throat> the truth about Christ. So then we have the picture, of course, of Peter running and seeing for himself the empty tomb. You know, we said how he stooped down, which spoke of humility. And there was a wonder in him at everything that had happened, because obviously Peter we know he was the one who denied Jesus three times. He was the one that went out. in Matthew 26:75, he went out and wept bitterly because Jesus, as he was being led away while Peter was warming his hands by the fire but, uh, with those of the world in their disbelief, he's warming his hands. And then in Luke 22:61, Jesus gives him that look. That look is that you denied me, but I love you and you will see me again. And even though Peter, all his hope, the best hopes that he had in Christ for his life seemed to be over. Well, then there's the two, the two, and it says that they they had left Jerusalem. They had left Jerusalem, and they were on the road to Emmaus. The two, and it's and literally, their backs were towards the city. Their backs were towards Jerusalem. They were sorrowful, and they were experiencing, we said this morning, a sorrowful walk to a village called Emmaus, a village about seven miles. And that's what it is, these furlongs that they were talking about. <clears throat> three, three score, about 60 furlongs, is about 70 mi- uh, seven miles outside of Jerusalem. But their backs were toward the city. And that speaks of that they were living by the sight of their circumstances. And then their backs are towards the truth. They're backslidden in their minds through worry, through doubt, through disbelief, through unbelief. And they were perplexed and they were discouraged. They were living in that. And that's what sight will do. That's what what sight will do to us. We'll be perplexed. We'll be discouraged. And and, and we'll be in a, a condition just like these two who are on the road to Damascus. They were on a backward course. And when we walk by sight, in our thinking, in our minds, we live in a backward course. And that's very inevitable when we don't live in dependence upon Jesus Christ and his presence. And then even one of the names, and we only, we only know one of those names of those two, and it was Cleopas. And Cleopas literally means, in the original, a despised people, <laughs> a despised one. And that's what we are in our own eyes, in, this, in the experience of sight, Thoughts that have been darkened by the lies of imaginations from Satan. And we live, in a sense, in our own eyes, as a despised people. The people that are forgotten and despised. And we live a backward, through sight, a backward, and of course then a downward. All our hopes are dashed, they're downward. A downward course. A downward condition because then it said in the 16th verse when Jesus was there and he went with him he drew near and went with him it says that their eyes were were holding and it was a sign of the condition of them walking by sight that they didn't recognize him who was with them and so we said this morning that they, they made the declaration to Christ when they asked him, Don't you know what's going on? They said to him, Are you a stranger in Jerusalem? You don't understand what was going on. And of course, Christ said, Well, what do you mean by that? <laughs> and of course, they explained everything that had happened to him. <coughs> and then they said in the 21st verse, They said, But we trusted. We trusted. That it had been he which, which should have redeemed Israel. He said he was going to do it, but he's dead. He's gone. He told us things. He gave us promises, and he's gone. Where are they? Are they fulfilled? And they begin to tell the tale of sight. And when they begin to tell the tale of sight, and when we begin to confess sight What is it? It's a result of doubt. And then doubt brings trouble. Doubt brings trouble in our mind, brings in fear and perplexity. Even when these two heard the women, they heard what the woman said. The angels came and they told us he's risen. And then they even heard Peter because Peter went and he looked in and he wasn't there. He wasn't there. His body was gone. But still, they didn't know what to think or how to think properly. They still didn't know. But then he still explains the scriptures to them. He begins to tell them and explain the scriptures to them. And then after he explains the scriptures, they ask him to abide with them. Please stay with us. After he opened the word to them, They said, please abide with us and stay with us. And then we see in the 29th verse, it says, he went in to tarry with them. And what a stranger. They said he was a stranger in Jerusalem. And yet here is the wondrous stranger. And why was he such a wondrous stranger? Because in the midst of all of this, in his life, all the way up to the cross, Through it and rising in life, he had such peace in a world such as this. (laughs) The whole time, think of what was against him. And yet he was a stranger to it all because he had a life. He experienced a life that was above in fellowship with his father. And he was in that sense, a stranger. Then it says, and he sat at meat with them. And we said this morning he took bread and blessed it and, and break it and gave it to them. He, he be, after giving them the word in such power, and such beauty, in such a way that it could never have been given by any other. He gives them the word and then he has communion with them. He's sharing. He's again giving. He's giving them and showing them what he's done. Who he is in his person and what he's accomplished to his father on their behalf. Just like he does to us every time we open the word. That's to be our experience. We're to have this communion that he so desires with us in intimacy and fellowship. And then with that, it says their eyes were opened. And that's the what the prayer of Paul was in Ephesians 1, 18. 23 what a prayer what a prayer that was and when we see that and we see it here in type of what Jesus had accomplished but it was going to be given to another apostle to open up open up the depth of what Christ had accomplished he would give it to the apostle Paul and then the apostle Paul would say this remember their eyes were holding we said in verse 16 of Luke 24, that they should not know him. And then he opened the word, he abided with them, and then he had communion with them. And then in the 31st verse of Luke 24, it says their eyes were opened and they knew him. And how do we know him? And then Paul's prayer, everything that Christ, the risen Savior, had given the Apostle Paul. He says in this prayer, and it's one long, huge prayer, especially in Ephesians 1:18 to 23. And this is what it says. The eyes of your understanding being enlightened, that you may know what is the hope of his calling and what the riches of the glory of His inheritance is in the saints, us, those that are set apart. And what is the exceeding greatness of His power? To us who believe, who trust Him, who lean every single thing that we have upon Him as our foundation, according to the working of His mighty power. According to the might of His power, the Greek says, which He wrought in christ which he accomplished in and through christ when he raised him from the dead that's what he did he rose from the dead that's what the angels were telling the women he's not here he has risen as he has said why do you look for the living one among the dead (laughs) we christ is our life he is our very life we said this morning in Colossians 3, verse 4. But this is what he wrought in Christ when he raised him from the dead and set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies. And he set him at Christ, the Father, set him at his own right hand in the heavenlies with us in him. With us in him, far above all principality and power and might And dominion, and every name that is named, not only in this age, world should be age, not in this time period, this age, but also in that which is to come. And hath, past tense, through what he accomplished on Calvary, put all under his feet and gave him to be the head over all things to us, the church." which is his body, that's us, the fullness of him that fills all in all. So their eyes were opened, and they knew him, and then he vanished out of their sight. And then they said to one another, Did not our hearts burn within us when he talked with us by the way? And while he opened to us the scriptures. And what happened was this, that Jesus, he opened their eyes, and then faith. And this is what happens every time with us when we come together. The Holy Spirit will take the things of Christ and he'll enlighten that revelation and he will illuminate it so that we can see clearly and begin to focus in again on who Christ is and what he's accomplished. And then faith is rekindled again at the sacred fire. It's a sacred fire. Faith in our hearts is rekindled. rekindled, what? And, be, and here's Jesus. And what a beautiful picture this is when we understand it. Here's these two little disciples. We don't, you don't even hear, you hear one of their names only one time, Cleopas. You don't even hear the name of the other. Yet Jesus spent the beautiful time with them. He ministered to them and he brings them back to the simplicity of faith. That's what he's always doing with us. He's always bringing us back through drawing near to us. It doesn't matter. He draws right near to us and brings us back to the simplicity of trusting and depending upon Him for every single thing in our life. And look how the Lord does it. Does Does He do it with these two little guys? With fanfare? Does He do it to be noticed? No. He does it in secret. He does it tenderly. He does it in an unofficial way. He meets these two in secret because he loves them and wants to impart himself to them that has been imputed to them. And what is it? He meets the two. Listen, he met the two women. He meets the two women. He meets Peter on the shore. And you'll see it when they all backslid, when they were all in a failed condition, and in the midst of their failed condition, who's on the shore? He always meets us on the shore to rekindle us with the life that's in us, the very life that he is. And he's on the shore. They were backslidden in John 21, verse 3, and then he appears to them. And he has a meal prepared for them on the shore. He wants to commune with them in the sharing of his body that was broken and his blood that was poured out he wants to share with them and then he recommissions Peter right in the midst of his failure and grace comes in and grace comes in to us when we're in the midst of failure in terms of wrong thinking and worry and grace comes in and it comes in to those that can't even get prepared for it Right in in times, and we've all experienced this, in the times of our misery and fear and doubt and failure. What grace, he just comes right in, him who is the fullness of grace and truth. In John 1, 14, he comes in and he fills us up because he's our head, our risen, glorified head. And we're his body and he loves to fill out his fullness in each member of us, his body. And that was what Paul's prayer was. And this was what his desire was to do. And it he is the one. It is the one, Christ. He's the voice who himself is the shepherd. He is the shepherd. Christ is our shepherd. He's the shepherd of every single individual soul. No ecclesiastical government. No ecclesiastical go-between. That's why it says in 1 Timothy 2, 5, there's one mediator between God and men. It's the man, Christ Jesus. Who is the man? It's Christ Jesus. In Psalm 111, verse 9, holy and reverend is his name. His name. His and his only. There's one teacher There's only one, and Jesus was saying it in Matthew 23, verse 8, about himself. One is your teacher. It is Christ. He's our teacher. He, it is the Holy Spirit in John 16, 13, and 14. He takes the things of Christ through a gift that's attached to the head. In Ephesians 4, 8. He takes those gifts in Ephesians 4.11 and the power of the Holy Spirit flows through a gift that came from Christ that he won. And it flows through Christ through the gift to us. And Christ is the shepherd. He's the teacher and we are his brethren. Like he said in Matthew 23, verse 8. And as we close this up, then it was Mary Magdalene And then we see here, and we'll just wrap this up, and hopefully we can get into this. If God wills it, we can get into the unbelievable truth that we can have even more about this. But then it says, and they rose up in in Luke 24, 33. He said, our hearts burned within us while he talked with us by the way. And while he opened to us the scriptures, they were in a backward condition. They were in doubt and fear. And boy, he came right in and lifted them up and rekindled faith and dependence in them. And then it says they rose up and they could rise up that same hour because he was their resurrection life, the power of eternal life, that resurrection life. And then it says they returned to Jerusalem where they had their backs turned walking away, thinking it's the place where all their hopes and dreams and everything were gone. Now they turned back and found the eleven gathered together and them that were with him, saying, now they're saying it, the Lord is risen indeed and has appeared to Simon. We don't know who, which Simon this is, but he even appeared to Simon. And they told what things were done in the way and how he was known of them. Isn't that amazing? That we can know God in Christ, the fullness, the greatest manifestation of God himself in Christ. We can know him and then we can be known of him. And and he says, in breaking bread. In other words, he was saying, we, we knew him. He revealed Himself to us. He revealed Himself to us that He knew us intimately. And He was teaching us in broken bread. He was communing with us. Having fellowship and communion with us. Then it says, as they spake. Look at what it says in verse 36 of Luke 24. As they thus spake, Jesus Himself stood in the midst of them. And look what He said. And said unto them, peace unto you. That's what he speaks to us. That's what he speaks to us constantly. And in his presence, we said this morning in Psalm 1611, there's the fullness of joy because of this unbelievable love and the effect of being Love so intimately in communion is is expressed through unbelievable joy that gives us the most incredible peace, we said, in Galatians 5, verse 22. And then we see it. We see the rest of it. And we'll have to share this again, possibly on Wednesday night, where he went in. And where it says that he appeared to them in Luke 24, verse 36, and he rose up and he stood in their midst and right in their midst he appeared and said peace unto them that's where we get it in John the 20th chapter John the 20th chapter And when we look at those verses and those things that were said they are incredible and we want to be able to get into those we want to be able to, to see the exact meaning of those things which we will do on Wednesday night. But just think that we have all of this in Christ. We have we have far more in greater illumination of the revelation of what Christ was telling all of those in those portions, far more because he gave the depth and the overwhelming truth of those things to the apostle Paul to give to us in the height of the glory. Of those things in Christ. So we pray, we thank you, and praise you, Lord, in Jesus' name. Amen.